0: I'm home. What's in the box? Who's your movie? What's up, everyone? It's time for another Who's Your Movie. And today we are going to find out what's in the box. We're going to take you back to 1995. We're going to... Visit the Movie 7. I'm Bill. I'm here with my co-host, Zim. What's up, guys? And we're going to get right into this one. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey. This one's a gem, so let's get the ball rolling. So we are going to start off right away with a uh, Morgan Freeman getting ready for work. In his home, getting dressed. So if you ever wanted a Morgan Freeman getting dressed scene, 7 has scratched your itch. We find out quickly that he is a detective. He is on the scene of a murder-suicide of a wife and husband, and he asks the person in command if the kids saw it. The other detective kind of gets annoyed at the question, and we're supposed to get the impression that he's more meticulous than the other detectives through this. Um, We find out that his name, his last name anyway, is Somerset. And we also find out that he is leaving the force. Also, we meet Brad Pitt, who introduces himself as Detective Mills. And, of course, he's chewing something during this, likely gum. But we have our mandatory Brad Pitt something-in-the-mouth chewing scene for the movie. Well, and that's likely because he's a very heavy smoker. Uh, It could be. Yeah, that's that's a very valid theory, but we have gone two for two with Brad Pitt and eating things at least some point in his movie. We find out that Detective Mills has been transferred, but not only got transferred, he actually fought to get assigned out there, and he says he wants to do some good. Somerset kind of plays the hard ass veteran card on Mills at the beginning. Uh, kind of does the keep your mouth shut and your ears open. Mills doesn't really take too kindly to that, but yeah, you know, that that's the the duality that we're working with here. Uh, because of the opening credits, the opening credits are really messed up. <laughs> really messed up. Oh, had to be set to Trent Reznor music. Yes, yes, Trent Reznor music. Uh, this is a remix of "Closer," put to images of notebooks and photos and razor blades. Oh my! Uh, probably didn't need to see the razor blade cutting the finger, but well, we saw it. So, and it makes sense later on. Yeah, sure does. But when you first see these credits and you see that happening, it happens so fast and you kind of have to turn away. Like watching a Saw movie. Yeah. So after the credits, we find out that it is Monday, implying that we are going to go through a week of days. So for Monday, Gwyneth Paltrow is in bed with Mills. Uh, You could probably assume that they're at least seeing each other. In some kind of relationship, uh, Mills gets a call and says goodbye to her and heads out. They, the two detectives, are called to a homicide, and this is a homicide of a really, really big guy, like four or five people scrunched together. Big, probably yeah. at least. Uh, probably had to get him out of there on a forklift very 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 likely there Uh, i don't see any stretcher in the world holding this guy or people like trying to like drag him down the stairs oh dear god (laughs) roll him down (laughs) break the the stairs (laughs) as you see in a later scene it's like one of those 90 degree angle staircases to you like imagine like you got to the bottom and then you have to like drag him to the next side and roll him again well, no. If, if, if that were the case, they'd roll him down that first flight, and he'd go through that and down to the down to the ground. <laughs> Can you imagine the workman's comp the oh. claim. Like, how'd you pull your back out? I had to roll this guy down the stairs. <laughs> I mean, that. I know this is a very dark movie, but honestly, that reminds me. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's fantastic. I, I, want, I want to see like. The special features down and see if that is even touched on because I want to know how it happened. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So this this poor big guy is dead at his kitchen table and there are stacks of cans of spaghetti sauce. And it's like a wall of them. Um, there's a bucket under the table which you can also see that this guy was tied down not necessarily to the chair but uh hands and legs independently of each other but he's so big that like apparently that was enough uh the bucket has some um some throw up in it and the initial idea was maybe he was poisoned mills during this whole thing shows his work style he likes to talk while things are going on uh, Somerset is the complete 180. He prefers silence so he can concentrate. So he kind of kiboshes that. Very cerebral, yes. Very much so. So at a certain point, Somerset sends Mills to question the neighbors, which he takes exception to because he's not a rookie. He's done his, paid his dues doing the door to door stuff, but. Uh, Somerset said it was his call to make, and he made it. So deal with it, rookie. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, Which I kind of sympathize with Bill's there because he's not really a rookie, and if I was five years into a job, I'd be like, dude, come on. But then compare yourself to Somerset, who's probably been on a job for 30 years. Sure. So you can definitely see both sides of the, uh, the coin there, but yeah. I could definitely understand taking exception to the call that probably had to be made. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a lose-lose there. So we cut to the coroner, and the coroner confirms that the guy was not poisoned. Uh, Instead, it was revealed that there is a mark on the back of his head that they deduce could have been a gun pressed against it very firmly. They find out that this guy was eating for hours and hours and hours and the theory is that he was forced to do so at gunpoint until he passed out and then was kicked in the stomach to rupture said stomach, which is a horrible way to go. I could only imagine what that probably would have felt like if he wasn't passed out. Maybe he woke up when that happened. Uh, I don't know. That'd be a horrible way to wake up. Oof. So yeah, pretty grisly way to go. So Somerset thinks that this is the first of a series because there was a stop in the middle of this to go to the store to get more things for this guy to eat. So obviously the amount of time that this took, the guy was not worried about getting caught and he had a deliberate reason for doing this. Since he is retiring, which we find out in this scene, he does not want anything to do with this case because he's leaving in a week. And we're talking to the captain during this, who is consequently Arlie Emery, who you might recognize from Full Metal Jacket as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. So, fun little cameo there. Well, I guess cameo is probably the wrong word. Bit part. We'll see. bit. Well, yeah, a couple scenes. Yeah. yeah. But awesome to see him in this. Um, so Somerset wants his reassignment. He also drops in that he doesn't think that this should be Mills' first case because it's too soon for him. And Mills, of course, rolls his eyes at this. The captain says that he's not reassigning Somerset. He's staying on this case. And he does agree, though, that Mills is going to get something else. And that rounds out Monday. We start Tuesday. Tuesday opens with a big press conference. And we see Mills kind of bypass said press conference to get to the elevator of this building. And we find out that they are at a law firm. And this is the office of a lawyer named Eli Gould. And he has been murdered. He is... In his office, and there is the word greed written in blood on the ground. There's also a woman's picture with blood traced around her eyes, which is creepy and cryptic. So we cut back to Somerset's office, and we see letters being scraped off of his door. Since he's leaving, obviously, someone else is getting his office, and that would be, be Mills. <laughs> Uh, Captain tells him about Gould being bled to death, so we find out how he died, which it was fairly straightforward from the scene, but we get confirmation. And we also see the Captain give Somerset an evidence jar with these little weird plastic shards in in the jar, and he says that they were fed to the big guy. Which is uh, interesting. I don't know that I would have made this connection, but this is why Somerset's the detective, because he goes to the big guy's place, and he finds the shards are from the floor in front of the refrigerator. So, of course, we move the refrigerator out. And behind the fridge, we see the word gluttony, with a note attached underneath it. Ah. So, this confirms that we have a series of murders that are quite clearly going to be based on the seven deadly sins, and I'm going to spoil that the perpetrator is going to be called John Doe, and we're going to play a game called Let's Be John Doe. In this game, we are going to describe how we would go about being John Doe. So... We've already gotten greed and gluttony on the plate here. We're going to we're going to go ahead and say how we would do greed and gluttony if we were John Doe. So, we'll start with gluttony since we found the big guy first. How would you go about gluttony? Well, I I know it's is more toward, geared towards food and things like that, but it's also overconsumption in general. So, if I were John Doe, I'd find a guy, or, or a female, whatever, and this person would have to be just a complete fiend about energy drinks. And I would, you know, kind of like John Doe does in the movie, just kind of you, you pick your person and you kind of just go about their daily habits, and I'd break into their place and basically lock them down to, a, to a, some kind of gurney and hook up a energy drink IV into their, to their, to their veins. <laughs> All right. That's fantastic. I mean, it. Dude, you've you got me in a really dark place with this with this whole thing, but I mean, that would just kill pretty pretty damn quick. It does matter. You'd see someone running around with a gurdy strapped to their back until they dropped. They'd still die, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, would the news be great on that one. <laughs> We've got a serial killer that kind of killed with energy drinks. You see the news report, the running around in the street, like, avoiding traffic. Are you like, on crack, sir? No, energy drinks. See, you want some? like, wins the marathon in, like, an hour and a half. <laughs> like, it just no, collapses. Like, no, I like, 37 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And drops dead at the finish line. Oh. Uh, what a way to go out. All right, what about you there, Mr. Bill? Okay, so I would find some, like some country leader that is just like a scum fuck to his people, you know, he like sits in his rich mansion while his people starve, like one of those dipshits, and I would pretty much do the, the gunpoint, but I would give him a Crave Crave. <laughs> so, for those of you who are listening who are not familiar with White Castle, White Castle well, you're probably familiar because of Harold and Kumar, but just in case you're not. They're these little mini slider burgers. They're the originators of the slider, to my knowledge. And they have a reputation for being good drunk food, but causing some intestinal distress afterwards. Uh, massive gas is a better a better statement there. Um, among other things. Uh, so the... Uh, I want to say 1999, 2000-ish, they introduced this thing called the Crave Case. And the Crave Case held 30 white castles. Well, a few years after that, they introduced the Crave Crate. The crate is 100. So we're going to get 100 and give them to this guy. And if that doesn't do the job of dysentery, then we'll uh, we'll get another case. And... We'll just repeat until nature takes its course. There you go. And you're a sick fuck. <laughs> At least it would taste good. Well, true. Alright. So before we close out this segment of Let's Be John Doe, let's move on to greed. Greed. And I'll take the lead on this one. So greed. My thought would be, take someone who's really rich, but is a stuck-up tightwad, refuses to help anybody less fortunate, because those guys are just assholes. And I would take all his riches and I would put them in a vault, a time-release vault, throw this gentleman in the time-release vault, or it could be a woman, too. I I won't discriminate. A scumfuck is a scumfuck. Agreed. So, this person would uh, go into said vault with all of their riches, and they could play with them and hold them and caress them and love them and hoard them all they want while the time lock door is set for a month out good luck with no food, no water I'll see you in a month and you can do whatever you want with all your riches then and then when we open the door we'll give it out to all the people that you wouldn't, you greedy bastard <laughs> how are you? alrighty for me, much like you I find a person of Great power and great wealth, and all they want is more power and more power and more power. And basically, I'd I'd find a way to sedate this person, strap him down to a chair, and basically put electrodes all over his body and his or her body. And and you know, you want power? I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) You will be electrocuted. All right, Uh, that's that's spot on. I love it. I love the uh, the double entendre there. Hmm. Well done. Thank, Thank you, sir. So, that's it for now, but stay tuned, because we'll be back with another segment of Let's Be John Doe after a few more messages. Anyhow, so this note that was attached to the refrigerator was from Paradise Lost, and Somerset explains the seven sins to... Uh, definitely Mills, and I think the captain's there as well, Yes. tells him, expect five more of these, and then walks out, says, I don't want it, (laughs) points at Mills, you know, he wanted it, I'm all over (laughs) it. Of course, you know, the cocky cowboy Mills, he's, I got this. Only he knew. But I digress. Somerset goes to the library and does some research into the literature that might be relevant to this. Uh, He looks at Canterbury Tales, Dante's Inferno, stuff like that. Uh, Obviously, Paradise Lost. And he does all this research, and he leaves it for Mills on his desk, which is really kind of cool because that's going a pretty fair extra mile, especially for something that you're not even assigned to. And it just kind of shows how much he cares about actually getting cases solved and what he's willing to do for his fellow partners even though that you know he's kind of hard on him he still wants him to succeed yeah that's the end of Tuesday so Wednesday opens Mills has no interest in reading at all he's in the car kind of like half ass flipping through the book and he gets pissed off and just throws the book and yeah doesn't want anything to do with it (laughs) calls calls the book a jerk off (laughs) It would be the most painful jerk off ever. Is it like the paper cuts that would give? Oh, God. Yow. So, but one of my most laugh out loud moments here uh, is he sends out an officer in a pouring down rainstorm to get him the Cliffs notes of all <laughs> of books. And of. I don't know if these are still made or not, so for any teeny boppers out there that might not be familiar, Cliff Notes are these small yellow and black colored books that essentially paraphrase all the great works of literature and kind of break them down, and it gives you like a summary of each of the chapters. It kind of tells you, you know, what is trying to be said there, because some guys you know especially the older guys their writing style is hard to follow and so they're they're cheat books that are very very short so he's got a whole stack of these now he moves into somerset's old office still current office for a couple of days anyway they're they're sharing a space which um i've done this in the professional world it's not fun sharing a workspace like even an open flooring plan it's just, yeah, uh, you need your, your area, especially for what two guys that are really don't see, don't see eye to eye at this point. Right. It's just, it's an illusion of privacy. I fully understand that when you're on an open floor plan, but psychologically it does help at least for pretty much everyone that I know anyway. So we finally confirm that Gwyneth Paltrow is Mills' wife and her name is Tracy because she calls up and invites Somerset over for dinner. And we also find out that Somerset's first name is William when they get to dinner and that Mills' first name is David. So we have David Mills, William Somerset, and Tracy. So we go over some case details after dinner, of course. Uh, the killer made Gould, our greed victim, cut a pound of flesh, no complete more. with the scale, to weigh said flesh. And mm. that had to hurt. One pound of flesh, no more, no less. I could say definitively I'd probably have been like, dude, just shoot. <laughs> but John Doe was not that kind of person. I'd call his bluff. We'll see what happens. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, I know how it ends, so, you know, I'll take my chance. We find out that the photo is of Gould's wife, the one that had the blood trace around the eyes. And she's currently in a safe house, so she's cool. But they don't know what the blood means, and they theorize, you know, maybe it's something she saw. And then they kind of narrow it down to maybe it's something she's supposed to see. Hmm. So they go over there in the middle of the night. Which is, I, I understand why they did it, but I can only un, uh, imagine what that felt like. Because they go over to the safe house, and so they ask her to go through these photos of the crime scene. At, at, this probably had to be 10 or 11 at night, I'm if sure. Not, if not later. Yeah. you know, So she's probably tired trying to sleep, and now you have to look at these photos of your husband's murder scene. So As, as if she wasn't traumatized enough already. It, yeah. She ends up actually noticing that a painting in one of the pictures is upside down. So you know where we're going. We're going back to the office to see this painting. Absolutely. Well, there's nothing on the painting. They examine it. They look in the frame. There's nothing there. But Somerset wisely checks for some prints on the wall because he notices that the The framing cord cable thing had been moved to accommodate the upside-down hang. So he checks the wall for prints. They find prints. So we call the print lab so that they can finish the job, which we get the CSI nifty blacklight-looking scene there while they finish. The detectives look at each other in shock and awe. And we look at the wall, and it says, Help me. Using the prints on the wall. Yow. So that's pretty wild. That's something I would never have thought of. Uh, I'd like to think that I have some pretty gnarly plans, but that would not have been one I would have thought of. (laughs) So, obviously we now have to match these prints to somebody. So we're going to the lab. While the lab is trying to match these prints on the CPU, they are... um, They tell Mills and Somerset that it could take as many as three days, depending. So they probably don't want to sit there waiting. So they leave 15 feet away and crash (laughs) on a a seat outside the lab, because I don't know. But that's where they did. Which brings us to Thursday. So we wake up to a match. This guy named Victor Allen, who has a very long... Long record of bad things. Very bad things. He got off of these bad things because Eli Gould, our greed victim, was his attorney and got him off. Now, Somerset does not think that Victor Allen fits the profile. But, we have to go off of this. So, we go to Victor's place and SWAT is there and they raid with the detectives in tow. Oh boy, is this scene gruesome. This apartment is about Fight Club level shithole. It is worn down. The pavers flaked off the wall. They get to a room with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of air fresheners. Which is creepy enough. Yeah, I wouldn't want to walk into a room like that. Nah. Then they look and see a bed in an open bedroom. With a body on it. And SWAT orders this person off of the bed. Nothing happens. But they approach the bed. They pull the sheet off. And all of you zombie movie fans out there, this guy would probably pass for any zombie movie you could think of outside of maybe like 28 Days Later where they still look like people. Because this guy looked like a dead-ass zombie <laughs> Um, to further your point, they're built an anorexic zombie. Yeah, totally emaciated, just sores all over his body. Uh, you know, you could see the skeletal features, the the skull, like teeth, jaw looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Horrible. And above the bed was written the word sloth. So we find a stack of photos next to the bed. Of the victim. And it dates back to a year. uh, I believe to the day. A year to the day. And there's also bodily fluid samples. Which was kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, So various ones of that in this box with these pictures. And you also notice that this guy does not have hands. So it's very clearly implied that this is Victor. The SWAT guy kind of leans in. And kind of taunts him. You know, you... Yeah, this is what you deserve. Deserve. Except the dude's not dead. (laughs) He starts coughing and hacking when the guy's like a couple inches from his face and I have to tell you the first time that I saw this movie when that happened I stood up and just yelled fuck yeah! as loud as I could because it was the greatest like jump scare that wasn't cheap. I, I... Thought it was brilliant, and it was creepy just because of the way the guy looked, but just having him almost play possum, even, you know, that wasn't the point, but it kind of lulled you into that sense of, okay, we've got another dead body. No, we don't. Not yet, anyways. So we know how John Doe did sloth, but it's time to play Let's Be John Doe, and for this segment, we are gonna do sloth. So... In. How would you be John Doe? Well, you know, you think of sloth, you think of basically a person that doesn't does nothing. You know So you find a, a like a deadbeat parent and I would take this person, you know, against the date them somehow and take him either depending on where where this were to take place. Either if we were out in the west, I'd take him and bury him up to his neck in, in sand and let the animals have him, or do the same in the woods. His head. Mm, something more vile, I would think. Coca-Cola. That's Oh! Well then, then they might eat, they might not eat it then. That's a hell of a point. Um Greek jelly. Oh. Yeah, that would that, that would work. <laughs> or we can go back to my uh, the original sin and just cover them in, in, in energy energy drinks. <laughs> We're gonna employ energy drinks into every one of these. That'll be great. And the ironic part about that is, I don't drink energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I do, uh, not often, but once in a while, I do, and they're they're good for me. All right, Mr. Bill, how about you? Well, uh, I also went with a deadbeat parent. I figured since we're already into this uh, seven deadly sins religious context, let's bring back crucifixion. Oh, yeah! So we're going to put that deadbeat parrot up on a cross, and uh, we're just going to let that happen. He's he's going to slothily go nowhere. I don't know if slothily is a word, but it's a word now. i uh, to get up contact with uh, Webster's Dictionary and see if I can't get that added. <laughs> slothily. Would you cover him in grape jelly? Or her? I don't know. Or energy drinks. I almost don't want someone to eat him. He just wanted to hang there. Yeah, I want to maximize the time that he's there, or she. Like I say, this should be a uh, a non uh, a non discriminatory punishment. So, no. deadbeat parent could be the mom or the dad. It has happened. Yes. But digressing again, that would be the way I would go about it. Yes. Try to. I might even go indoors just so that nothing in in the outside world could, you know, take them due to exposure before the job is done. Ooh, you can put them, can put them in a room and pipe pure oxygen into the room so they can make sure they stay awake. Oh! I like the addendum. <laughs> Version 2.0 has been laid. And I called you a 6 o'clock. But... <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So. With that upgrade, that will conclude this segment of Let's Be John Doe, but don't go away because we're going to have more. We'll be back after a few more messages. So after the ambulance comes and takes Victor away, the uh, detectives are watching the crime scene and Mills gets into a little scuffle with a photographer who has arrived rather quickly to the scene uh, and tries to get some pictures. And he chases him off rather rudely, and the photographer kind of protests, and they they have uh, words with each other. Mills yells at him, you know, to leave, and the photographer says, "I got your picture, pal, oh, and I you got your name." Yeah, Mills says, "Okay, here, here's how you spell my name, too." And M I L L S, fuck off. <laughs> Somerset kind of uh, quietly rebukes him by saying, yeah, these guys pay very well for the privilege of being here. And but also congratulates him, though, too, about using feeding off his emotions. So we do now get to the hospital, and the doctor says that, yeah, a year of immobility with the uh, muscle atrophy and everything. And there were um, drugs in his system sedate him and antibiotics to keep the bed sores from uh, infecting which when they raided the room there were a bunch of hypodermic needles around the bed and in the bed too so that checks out. They pretty much say this guy has no chance he's so far gone his brain's mush he's been through hell. Yeah he doesn't have a tongue anymore (laughs) he chewed it off so if if he's showing a flashlight in his eyes he'd die of shock right there. Yeah this guy's done. So before we close out Thursday, uh, Somerset gets a call from uh, Mills' wife, Tracy, and asks if he can meet with her and talk in the morning. So we got Friday. They have met up at a diner. So she kind of confides in Somerset because he's really the only other person that she knows in the city since they just moved there. She's not thrilled with being in the city and the conditions there and everything, and she wants to teach and yada yada. Somerset doesn't buy that that's it, and he digs a little deeper because he's a good detective, and she eventually reveals to him that she is going to have baby, and she has implied both that she has not told Mills And she's also considering not keeping it because of, you know, the conditions and all the stuff that we were just talking about in the area. So Somerset here handles this about as well as possible and definitely as Morgan Freeman as I would imagine Morgan Freeman would handle something like this. Uh, So he doesn't say to keep or not to keep the kid, but that he had once been expecting with an old significant other, and he kind of pressured her into not keeping it. He doesn't say that that was right or wrong. He thinks that he made the right decision, but uh, he does. He says that he does regret it. So, playing both sides of the fence, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I, it was very poignant to what he said, though. That he, uh, he, It was very obvious that he regretted it by telling her, if you do keep it, spoil that kid mm-hmm. every chance you get. Yep. He also says that if she doesn't, don't ever tell Mills that she was pregnant. Now we know her dirty little secret. We go back to the office to go over some more case details now. Somerset has a thought, uh, an aha moment, if you will. So they go to a pizza parlor. He, uh, Somerset asks Mills for some cash and gives it to this guy that shows up at the booth is kind of irritated Well, this is stupid we just gave money to a random guy that's going to run away and never come back so they go to a barbershop and wait Somerset, in the meantime is explaining that FBI keeps a list of library book checkouts and they flag certain titles and certain subject matters and once somebody checks a book out based on one of those things they then forward track Whatever that person continues to check out going forward. I thought it was really a funny part of this. One of the few funny parts of this movie. When Somerset asked, you know, you want me to tell you what's going on? And Mills is sitting there pouting like a little kid. He's Uh like, yeah, because I'm I'm about ready to punch you. (laughs) I don't know that this actually exists or doesn't, but... This is very plausible. I would not in any way, shape, or form be surprised if the FBI really did this. Oh, I pretty much bank on they do. Especially now. I mean, in 95, I don't know, post-2001, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, careful what you check out, kiddos. Uh, That goes for the internet, too. Yes. That's actually probably easier to track than the uh, library. Yeah, and I mean, and doing research for this to, to do this podcast. Oh, I'm sure I'm on a, I'm on a watch list now too because I've been I've looked up all these different sins and whatnot. So I'm sure I am now, but uh, I've probably been on there for years. So, eh. yeah, but you're scarier than I am. <laughs> we'll get into that another time, folks. Yeah, especially when we do the movie tag. <laughs> oh yeah, tag. Oh. So this guy from the pizza parlor comes back with the envelope and they're going through the list and yeah, going through the possibilities and they end up driving a name Jonathan Doe. So they use that. They get an address. They go to this address. There's nobody home. But at the end of the hallway we see a shadowy figure. We can't really see any details of this guy. He's kind of in a trench coat with the fedora kind of deal we think it's a he anyway walks a few steps and all of a sudden whips a gun out and fires in like one motion it's really fast doesn't hit anybody and it turns into a chase scene so mills is chasing this guy down uh somerset ain't running anywhere no oh he's doing his version of running but yeah (laughs) mills though is tearing after this guy and they they have a nice long chase scene. He eventually catches up in an alley, but gets ambushed and hit pretty hard with a with a tire iron upside the head and a gun gets put to Mills's head and he kind of waits a bit and like lets him sink it in, let him really drink in the fact that this gun's right here and you kind of see like the outline of the shape of the guy but it's out of focus and it's raining, so you can't really see anything. Somerset starts to catch up, so he eventually runs off without firing. Well, let see, again, Somerset, he doesn't have to run. He's Morgan fucking Freeman. That's right. Yeah, he's the old grizzled vet. Yeah, let, let the young buck go do that. Kind <laughs> of reminds me of a uh, lethal weapon. Oh, I'm a few, only a few days away from retirement. <laughs> and it's true. It is. So after this melee, um, we go back to the apartment. And they're outside the door of the apartment, and Somerset and Mills argue about entering, because Mills wants to enter, but Somerset says we have no cause, and we have no reason to have been here. So if they find out how we narrowed down that this is the place, we're going to be in trouble, and we're not going to have a case. And Mills says, yeah, you're probably right, and then kicks the door in, because it's just Mills. Yeah, he's... He's got this. He's a hothead. Uh, Kicks in. (laughs) Uh, Somerset is not pleased by any means, but Mills has got this. He pays a homeless lady to make a false report so that they have cause to go in. Uh, He gives her money, tells her to use it for food, not anything else, because this lady has clearly had some really good batches of heroin or cocaine or all of the above. Oh, I love before this, how before this all happens. After he kicks in the door, he looks at Somerset and says, do we have any more money? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So this apartment, this thing is next level, whacked out. It is filled with trophies from the killings, uh, including some that we haven't discovered yet. There's a photo of a woman. There's a receipt on on the wall. There's a bed with a red LED cross. Like, this bright motherfucker is lighting up the whole room with this eerie red glow. How the hell did this guy sleep with that? I, I couldn't. That's There's no way in hell. Like, I've had LED stuff, but it's like, I got the Batman logo. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't bright goddamn red lighting up the whole room, like, Oh, my God. It was, it was so bad. So, yeah, this, this guy's got weird decor and his interior decorators should probably update the resume and consider a career change. Yeah. Lots of notebooks. Lots and lots and lots of notebooks. Um, Somerset throws out the number 2000, which is probably an arbitrary number, but it's probably a fair guess, too. Um, and... That's just random stuff in random order and nothing of any use. But they do find a photo development darkroom. And one of the photos in this darkroom is of Mills at the crime scene. They They, had him. They had their man. They just didn't know it. Yeah, and more importantly, he was a dick to him and kicked him out. So he's already tussled twice now with John Doe. Neither of which went particularly well for him. (laughs) No. And we're also told that they can't find any fingerprints. Seems very odd, so they say, yeah, I don't believe that check again. Keep looking. While that happens, the phone rings. And after a mad scramble to find the phone, Mills picks it up. And it's John Doe. We finally hear his voice. And he says that he had to call and express his admiration. And that he's adjusting his schedule because of the setback of the day. He also alludes to a surprise that's coming. And that's all we get for Friday. So Saturday. The receipt that was on the wall in the apartment is to what I will describe as an extreme adult novelty shop. Owner confirms that the transaction took place, shows the pick of the work. It was a customized item, gives it to Somerset, still doesn't get shown to the viewers, so we don't know what it is yet, but he pockets the photo, walks away, uh, because the beeper, yeah, the beeper on Somerset's belt goes off, Yes. saying that they found the girl that was in the photo that was on the wall. So beeper's... Yeah. yeah, teeny boppers out there, there was a time when cell phones were, well, there was a time they didn't exist at all. But for the longest time, they were the upper echelon luxury and nobody had them, especially people in the school and the middle class and lower for the most part. So we had beepers and beepers you would call and it would tell you what number to call back and you would go to a phone and you would call it back. Yeah, for me in those days was, there was a, actually a, such a thing called payphones. Yeah. And that's what you would do. You would call from the payphone. Sometimes you would send uh, code to each other. So if it was like 911 it was an emergency or yeah if it was a friend saying hi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the upside down numbers yep. saying something. Yep. <laughs> well, and the phony part is back in those days. I had either you had a beeper, which was probably 30 bucks a month, or you had a cell phone you were paying three to four hundred dollars a month for. Yeah. Yeah, cell phones were a very new technology back then. Definitely not the most available things to the majority of people in this world. So, the beeper went off. And they finally grow. We'll say that. This place that they went to is what I will describe as an underground establishment of ill repute and carnal shenanigans. That's fair. So they go to the uh, the door of the crime scene, and carved on the door is the word lust. And there's a hysterical man in a chair, and we see, you know, your, your typical seedy looking room with you know like the low neon lights and all that shit and this guy is just yeah like I say he's hysterical beside himself so they cut to an interrogation room and we find out that this guy had a gun put in his mouth and he was forced to use what was in the picture and I will describe it as uh, a bladed phallic device which was used to um, enter the girl's holiest of holies? Yes, and basically to chop her up. Yeah, you could probably do the internal picture on that one. I think that would really, really suck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously it would suck, but man, that one's like really, really dirty. Yeah, it's messed up. And they're also questioning the proprietor of the place, and he's. You know, like, you didn't notice this guy bringing this weird thing in, and he says, you know, everybody brings weird stuff in. So, no, I didn't notice. Probably fair. Yeah. (laughs) So, we know how John Doe did it. Let's play Let's Be John Doe, and in this segment, we're gonna cover Lust. So, how would you be John Doe for Lust? And I'll start this one off. So I would find someone that is criminally unhinged. Someone that obviously was not a good person that is unhinged. Because these people have to be guilty of something. And I would tip this guy off, or girl, that they're being cheated on. And I would tip them off to where it was happening so that they could catch the two of the people in the act while this person had a gun with them. I think we can do the math from there. Boom, boom, boom. With mine, I would kind of do the same thing. I would you know, find it, I would find it doesn't matter the, the male, female, whatever, home homewrecker. And for anybody that's ever seen the movie The Watcher with Keanu Reeves, oh, me being John Doe, you want to be a homewrecker? I'm going to sexually fucking torture you. Close to death, unless you're going to come back. And, and this, would, this would be methodical, this would take a while. Yeah, you want to do something like that, and this is what's going to happen to you. Alright, so that'll do it for this segment of Let's Be John Doe, but we still got more to come, so stay tuned. So, after The Interrogation Room, seems like every detective movie has a scene where they bond over a drink at a bar, this one is it. Somerset says that he just hates apathy as a solution And Mill says that he doesn't buy, that that's why he's retiring, and that he's no better. And Somerset agrees, like, he's not any better, but he also doesn't want to be a party to it anymore. So that's why he's leaving, and that's bonded as they're going to probably get. (laughs) Yeah, after after Sunday, yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, you never know. So they have their, their chat, and that closes down the day. So we cut to the pivotal Sunday. Sunday! John Doe starts Sunday off by calling 911. And he reports his own next killing. So they go to this scene and it is this girl that is dead in bed. And she's got pills in one hand. She's got a phone in the other. And her face is all cut up and bandaged. And above the bed is the word pride. She was disfigured. She was clearly a model of some sort because she had a uh, portrait of herself, like a large one. She was clearly given a choice after this face cut-up happened. She could take the pills, because these were sleeping pills. Uh, She could take them all and just be done. Or she could use the phone, call for help, and live, but be pretty much disfigured. Not sure what I would choose. Hope I don't have to choose. No. Clearly the model here chose Route A. So, back at the station, Somerset asks Mills to keep him on as a partner for a few more days. Uh, says it would be a favor to him. Uh, he wants to see it through, I guess, and be around for the last couple. Well, It's like Somerset said in the movie. He said either this is going to come to a close soon or this is going to go on forever. Right. So he'll at least see out the rest of the act, and from there, what happens, happens. So as they're walking up the stairs in the station, uh, this man tries to get their attention, and they don't really hear him, and they keep walking up the stairs, and he tries again. Detective. Eventually, he just yells it right the hell out. (laughs) And you look, and it's this guy that's got a white shirt on that's covered in blood, and his fingers have bandages on them, and he says, you're looking for me. It's obviously John Doe. And this is where we meet Ke- uh, Kevin Spacey. Yes. John Doe is Kevin Spacey. So he has turned himself in. The fingerprint sheet is just blood. That was pretty gnarly. And we find out that he was cutting off the tips of his fingers so that there are no prints. Which explains the razor blades in the opening scenes, of, or the opening credits of the movie. God damn. Uh, yeah, I don't know how anybody could do that. I don't know what kind of messed up nerves this guy has, but I don't even like getting paper cuts, let alone uh, cutting the tips of all ten of my fingers. Not to mention, I know you well enough to know that if if you started to bleed, you, you'd have a problem with that, too. <laughs> I would at least want to, like, super glue it shut. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, Where's some gloves, dude. Yeah. So many easier solutions. Uh, but then again, he'd be wearing gloves all the time. But yeah, I mean, he's wearing no fingers all the time now. Mm-hmm. And gloves would be a lot more comfortable, too. I would think so. Yeah. So this doesn't make any sense to Somerset or Mills. For the first time, they're on the same page. The one and only time. Yeah. <laughs> they don't understand why he would just stop. Because he's still two away. Yep. So we uh, have a meeting with John Doe's lawyer, and he confirms that there are two more bodies. John Doe will take Somerset and Mills, but only Somerset and Mills, and only at 6 o'clock that day. And if they don't accept, then those bodies will never be found. And he'll plead insanity, which is quite easy to get him off on, uh, as it was implied, which I'd say... Probably fair. Yeah, absolutely. If he if they do accept, he'll sign a full confession. There it is, hard to stop. Now Somerset of course, being the good detective that he is, he questions the validity of the claim. He could just be saying that there are two more. That's when it's revealed that the lab found on John Doe his own blood. The blood of the girl from the pride killing. And an unknown third party. So the pressure cooker just went up a few degrees. So the detectives accept, and they're going to wire up and head out with John Doe. Uh, a chopper follows them, which I don't know if it violates John Doe's rules or not. It seems kind of cheating. But well, it is, but I think they stayed far enough away from them, bar behind them, to where they could still keep him in eye shot, but John Doe wouldn't have known. Fair. Um, I'd imagine once they got to the open area that he'd hear it, but I don't know if he even cared. I think he just didn't want the media circus or anything around it, so he got basic. But during the ride there, he claims that he's doing these killings to make people listen because you have to do something extreme anymore to do so. Uh, he's doing exceptional work, and he says that he was chosen. And he's turning the sins against the sinner, which we've probably all figured out at this point. But Mills tries to say that he's killing innocent people, and John Doe there just does not like that at all. (laughs) He goes into this wicked rant, goes through what everybody's issues were, and he also taunts Mills with the fact that he let him live. We're smashing your face. So they arrive at a trailer in the middle of nowhere which, like, is really the middle of freaking nowhere. The only thing around this trailer is just this multitude of high-tension wires and nothing else. Like, open dirt. (laughs) Yeah. Tumbleweeds. Uh, a van approaches. The Somerset goes to intercept. And I still like the one of my favorite lines in this movie, too, is they take John Doe out of the car. And they look and Somerset goes and looks at something and, what do you got? Dead dog. And John Doe looks at him and says, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, that would be a weird one. Yeah. So as uh, Somerset goes to intercept this van, we find out that it is a courier. And the courier has a package for Detective Mills. So Somerset sends off this courier after getting the box. And John Doe, in the meantime, is saying how much he admires Mills. Meantime, we see Somerset opening the box, and he is taking it back. He's definitely spooked. And before we blow the rest of this, let's play our last round of Let's Be John Doe. We're actually going to pre-end for two of these last three, because we haven't revealed John Doe's wrath or vengeance quite yet. But well, we're going to do ours before it. But first, let's start off with Pride. We know how John Doe did Pride, so... How would you be, John? Well, for me on this one, I just I would find a person that thought they were, like, godlike, very infallible. They could do anything, get away with anything. They even believed in their head that they're not such a power trip that they even could fly. So I would kidnap this person, and... For anybody familiar with the Chicago land, Northwest Indiana area, I take him up to the Skyway, which, if you're not familiar with that, it's a very, very tall bridge. It basically spans a, a canal that goes into Lake Michigan. Very tall. And I would take him to the top of the bridge and say, "Okay, if you admit that you you're not the you know, I like and you can you conceive you're a human being, I will let you live. If not, let's see if you can fly or walk on water." All right. Yeah, this is like a. Two hundred foot tall? Yeah, maybe. Bridge. It's always under construction for some reason. I this is true too. Uh, I, I guess I'll concede construction on that one, just so it doesn't fall Yeah. <laughs> um, like, like I said, for those of you that don't or aren't familiar with this area, basically that connects Northwest Indiana to Chicago, the Chicago area. So I would take someone that is awfully boastful about their intelligence. And of course this would have to be someone that has done bad things as well. But I would put them in a life or death escape room. There is a movie called Escape Room that kind of does this, but I would do it a little bit better than the movie. (laughs) You'd be a lot more cerebral and... Yeah. Good luck to you. You're so smart. I hope you know Latin and hieroglyphics fluently (laughs) and go. (laughs) I'm well, kind of like one of the guys who's playing against in uh, Trivia everyone. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that would be how I would take out Pride. is. Let's move on to Envy. Envy! I'm going to do both of mine, actually. Envy and Wrath, because I'm going to clean this up using my Lust Kill. So we've already tipped off the unhinged person that's being cheated on with, with the gun in hand. And they have caught their person in the act, and they have shot the, the lust worthy. So once he shoots the other person, that's going to take care of Envy. So we have Lust and Envy in the same kill. But I've also mentioned that this guy is criminally unhinged. So in the meantime, I will have tipped the police off. <laughs> and they will have gone to the location of the unhinged guy, sadly about two minutes too late. However, I will know that the, the guy or girl that is unhinged is not going to be putting the gun down, so they're, they're going to be going out in a blaze of glory, but that will finish off Wrath. Very nice. I kind of went the same route you did. I kind of intertwined Envy and Wrath together. I, personally, as John Doe, would go after a amount of power and wealth, because it's something I would want. And I'd try to take what they had. And, this is me. and so that would be I'd be I would come in as to where this person that I'm coming after their wealth and riches and their power ain't got no funny game got no no time for me and he's gonna kill them right. all right so we have now now we've said how we would do it we're flipping the script now let's see how John Doe does it but that's gonna wrap up our game of let's be John Doe To leave comments on social media or our email who's your movie at gmail.com. For now, let's go back to the movie. Yes, we're sick bucks. We know it. <laughs> we own it. So we've opened the box. What's in the box? Sight gets on the radio, says John Doe has the upper hand. We don't know why he's had the why he has the upper hand yet, but John Doe is continuing to talk to Mills. And Mills isn't really paying attention until. John Doe brings up his wife, and he says that he paid her a visit, tried to be husband because he was envious of the life, and it didn't go so well, so he took off her head and, and took a souvenir. In the meantime, Somerset's running over, because I mean, they were probably a good 500 yards away from each other at this point, and he's yelling at Bills to put the gun down, because he's covering John Doe, of course, so... He's trying to get Mills to put the gun away. John Doe confirms that his sin is envy, and he wants Mills to become wrath. Talks about how she was pleading for her life and the life of her unborn child. At this point, Somerset has caught up, and he whacks John Doe across the face when he says that to get him to stop. And that's when John Doe realizes he didn't know. Oh, he didn't. In the meantime, Brad Pitt keeps saying that line. What's in the box? Uh, we all know it. We all love it. We all quote it. What's in the box? And it becomes very clear that John Doe is completely telling the truth. Somerset throws his gun down. He, he warns Mills that if he shoots John Doe, John Doe wins. Because that would fulfill his whole prophecy. not the right word. His whole act... Yes. Yeah. Mills giving zero fucks just unloads his clip into John Doe and just keeps going. He awesome, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably have done the same thing. Yep. With... Probably wouldn't have even taken me that long. And see, and the thing is, with Mills, if you, you, there's never any confirmation of this, but if you think about it after the fact, he's probably going to get off on temporary insanity. Oh, sure. But he's going to be fucked in the head for the rest of his life. Yeah, oh yeah, I... I don't think I would have had any second thoughts, hesitations, care at that point. If someone, yeah, if someone take your whole family away, like, what do you got to lose at that point? No, you're done, yeah. So, after this, we see Mills kind of, like, catatonic in the back of uh, a car. And Somerset says to the captain, if he needs anything, you know, take care of him. And otherwise, you know, he'll be around. Yep. And that... Is how the movie ends. We go to roll the, the credits. credits. Well, the one thing I want to come back on and touch on is something I noticed about this movie: Monday through Saturday, every fucking day it rained, except for Sunday. Is like, is that a kind of a metaphor about now our eyes are open on Sunday, as to where we couldn't see it through the rain Monday through Saturday? Yeah, that's uh, that's a killer drop in. That that's uh, something I never. Really focused on when I've been watching this, so yeah, that that's spot on. Absolutely symbolic, and yeah, really well done. Um, interesting note: the credits roll in reverse. Yes, the the closing credits anyway. Uh, usually it scrolls from the bottom of the screen up. These go from the top of the screen down, and it's kind of cool. Yep. I don't know why they chose to do that. That was a fucked up movie, so yeah, I might as well fuck with something else at the end. But they did, yeah. And there you have it. That's seven. Okay, absolutely love this movie. If this is one of those movies I wish I could go back and watch again for the first time. Absolutely. I know I can't do that, but I love rewatching it every once in a while. I think too much, I'd get numb to it. Yeah. But oh, um, every few years, year or so, even um, Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. But definitely, then. Um, hey, it's nice to to revisit it. it. Still holds up. So, yeah, awesome, mm. awesome. So let's give this thing some numbers. Alrighty. So we're uh, we're working with a thriller here. So we'll go through our categories for thrillers. Plot. What do we think of the plot? Uh five. Give it a five. Absolutely, five stars. I mean, you don't see movies come along like this very often. You just don't, and it was perfectly written. So, I mean, yeah, the plot itself, I mean, you, you, you wouldn't see, I mean, not to this magnitude, mm-hmm. a serial killer like this. Right. So, yeah, I give it definitely mm-hmm. give it a five. Yeah, I, I also will give this a five. I am a sucker for acts that go into things like the Seven Deadly Sins, or, like, this Zodiac Killer, where there's... Like symbolism or like parallels with something like that. Like I, I'm a sucker. I'm in. You have my attention. I'm, I'm in the moment. I'm looking ahead at what the rest of the, the body work's gonna be in anticipation. I'm thinking about how oh I wish I thought of that or here's what I would have done and, or that was a great twist and yeah, fantastic. So they they got me there. How about the visuals? I would say the visuals would be, for me, a four. I mean, it didn't so much grab me, but you you could tell it was very dark. It was very ominous. So, I mean, it it fit what it was supposed to do. Agreed. I will give this a four and a half, because they really... They did a good job of making sure you knew that these were run-down city happenings. Even the... You know, even the places where the unfortunate victims weren't, you, you still had that city feel, like the diners and all that. Uh, the the uh, Mills apartment with the subway that go, goes train by that goes by every five minutes. minutes, and how they got suckered into it, and right, all of that just they they did such a good job setting that up, uh, really well done. Again, with the uh, the weather too, it's tension. Tension, I definitely give it a, a four and a half. I mean, it kept your, kept my attention all the way through, and every time I watch it ever since, ever since it keeps my attention all the way through. I mean, you it, again, they're it, dealing with a time frame serial killer here, so it's there's really no no lulls. You know, the, the tension is there for me. So, yeah, I agree. I will, I'm gonna only give it a four just because for most of these scenes. The act's already happened. So the tension's more in the discovery rather than the observation. Okay. So there, there's a little bit less at stake in the scenes until the end. But then the end just cracks it. Yeah. So that's where I'm going to get my four from. I would probably be a three otherwise. Uh, just because, yeah, most of it's discovery. But the end kicks it up. About oh, the musical score, there wasn't much music in this movie except for like the opening credit. So, I mean, in I back when Nine Inch Nails was a thing, you know, I was mildly interested in them. And Trent Reznor is a very fucked up individual, so I'll, I'll go with a three and a half. Uh, so for me, I'm gonna go with a hard three. The music in this, yeah, it's really just low key background scores that. Are almost unnoticeable, so yeah. There's nothing to really go off of other than during the chase scene. It kind of it, it amplifies a little bit there, but sure. and yeah, nothing noteworthy. I could probably, other than that chase scene, I wouldn't maybe recognize any of it if I heard it really? outside of the movie context. So yeah, okay, wasn't bad. Uh, nothing I hated. I just nothing stuck out to me. So I'm I'm in the middle. About the acting, acting I thought was fantastic. <clears throat> I mean, for starters, I mean Morgan Freeman. I wanted to sleep on a bed of his of his of his voice. <laughs> I mean, the guy is amazing. <laughs> and then you know Brad Pitt, you know pulled off the, a, a great role. You know, was a hard ass detective, young a young spit fuck, and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And you know it is, it is basically he ended up killing because of, the, of his emotions. So I mean, mm-hmm. you can't go wrong with it. With it. So I mean, for me, it's it's a solid five. Cool. Yeah, I think everybody, you know, filled the the hole that they needed to fill in this one. Uh, really, it was the duality of the the two detectives was the focus of most of the movie outside of John Doe's actions. So there wasn't a whole lot necessary. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a just because i don't see any like academy award-winning acting but at the same time yeah everyone was really solid and did what they needed to do so thumbs up yep absolutely maybe not quite the second thumb but definitely the the first thumb how about overall overall I give it a five i mean fantastic movie again solid acting to me it's just it's one of those movies that made you sit, make that always makes me sit up and take notice so, yeah, I'd definitely give it a 5. Cool. Um, just because of the uh, the scores on the other categories, I'm going to give it a 4.5, but the plot really puts this one up on a pedestal for me. I, I can't give it a perfect score, but I will give it a, a very high A. There you go. <laughs> um, an A-. minus. An a-. Yeah. <laughs> so, 4.5 for me because... It was. It was really well done. It's enjoyable. It's rewatchable. It let's say it, it gets my attention with the way that you know the John Doe stuff was set up, and and the uh, symbolism and all of that. Well, and also the way it was perpetrated. Right. Really well done. Definitely would continue to watch more and more. We would definitely. We would definitely. Absolutely hundred percent. You know, recommend anybody see this movie. All right, so unless, that concludes I say, 7. I say, unless you're under the age of, like, 12. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, maybe wait a little. Yeah. But it, it ain't going nowhere, folks, so don't, there ain't no rush. No. All right, so that concludes 7. Now it's time to find out what we're doing next episode. We're doing The Machinist. The Machinist, Christian Bale, 2004 so this one's a doozy and you have yet to see this one no i have not so this one will be a lot of fun um this is another tense movie and this is gonna be one where you have some shock value not just from the plot but also from the way christian bale looks and i'll leave it at that until you see him and we'll talk about it during the episode but for those who have seen the machinist you know what i'm talking about It's going to be fun. (laughs) Well, all right. So that's all we got for this time around. If you have any comments or questions, you want us to do any specific movie, reach out to us. If you want to just say, hey, reach out to us. We're at whosyourmovie at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Snail mail us if you have our address. (laughs) Come knock on the door. I don't care. Well, I don't know about that. We don't want just anybody <laughs> randomly showing up at your door while we're doing one of these. Or we might. You never know. Hey, You know, stranger things have happened. You know, shoot your shot, and see what happens. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the one thing here, folks. We're not telling you what day and what time we record and where. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to be a detective like in seven, you can hunt us down. There it is. How good of a Somerset are you? We play John Doe. You play Mills and Somerset and go. And until next time, we'll see you guys up down the road. Have fun, enjoy yourselves. We'll catch you during the next episode. Good night, folks. See ya.